Ho, 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 children. It is I, St. Nicholas, also known as Chris Kringle, also known as Santa Claus and Father Christmas. And I'm here to welcome you to the Reuben Uncut Christmas Special. Today, this special Christmas episode features a guest appearance for me. Ho, 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 ho. And also, get ready for Ruben to go on a rant. But also, he's double-packing this episode with a rant and a movie review. But Ruben, he's got it all for you, that's right. But now it's my time to shine as Santa Claus. After many years, I've decided to finally answer a question you've all been wondering. How do I make it around the whole world delivering to hundreds of thousands of children every year. Well, I've got to tell you, the you're doing the math really wrong. First of all, I only bring presents to children who believe in Santa Claus. And you know, the older they get, the less of them there are. So yeah, boop, 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 don't need to worry about it. And then of course, I also only bring presents to good children, which is gonna cut the number down severely. Fun fact, the percentage of children that believe in getting free gifts who are good is only about 20%. That's right, only about 20% of the children who believe in me are actually good. The others are just mean little bastards. Or, now I'll be honest, there's also a middle area there of children who just, who are kind of okay. But don't, you know, put in the extra effort needed to really impress me, Santa Claus. <clears throat> Plus, some of them live in Alaska, and, uh, oh, wait, no, Alaska's easy for me to get to. What? Hey, what's the state I don't go to? Oh, there's no good children in Texas? None at all. Okay, Texas. Texas is the state I don't go to. Little bastards. Oh, wait, there's one this year? Oh, there's like three good children in Texas. Okay, cool. Guess I gotta fly to Texas now. So there you have, oh, also, you know, fun fact, but time zones, time zones are the other way I cheat around it. There, I explained it with facts and science. <clears throat> now I know you're wondering how my reindeer fly and how they could possibly fly that fast. Well, don't worry, I have a perfectly sound, reasonable, scientific explanation for you here. Oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I've actually overstayed my time. I guess, well, I guess we'll get to how the, the reindeer can fly next year. Ho, 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 children. Keep being little bastards. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, 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 ho. Welcome to the Christmas special. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to Ruben Uncut here. And uh, I've got some things to talk about, because it's Christmas, y'all. Yes, I did realize on Friday that it would have been easier on my entire life 
released this Christmas special on Friday. But I already had an episode recorded for that. And uh, yeah, that's what happens when you make content on the fly. Oh, man, though, I will tell you, it is hard to write on flies. But uh, for those who didn't get that joke, I was referring to the insect. Uh, <clears throat> where was I? All right. I don't really care for those dad jokes, but uh, I know other people do. You got to cater to the masses. Which I'm sure some of you will be attending Christmas masses. <laughs> no, okay. I don't know what's happening, people. I just started doing the world's corniest top five. I mean, tight five. I, I don't know where that came from. It wasn't planned at all. <clears throat> all right. So what's the thing I'm here to rant about to you? What I'm here to rant about is... You know, fuck Krampus. That's what I was going to say. Fuck Krampus. I don't like it. Okay. Okay, I get it. I get it. All, all the people I hang out with are all like, oh, Krampus. Yay, this is fun. Seems super into it, right? Like, but like, okay, I'm like, I get it. He's like a heavy metal demon of Christmas. And he's... He gives all those people who prefer Halloween to Christmas, like that edgy Halloweeny vibe that they want. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, I just don't. I just don't consider it. You know, come on, people. What? What do you see in Krampus? What? Hold on one second. I gotta look up what what country is Krampus from. Is it as bad as I think? Oh, oh, no, it's, it was actually worse than I thought it was. My first thought was like Scandinavian or Swedes or something. Nope, German. It's fucking German. God, of course it fucking is. Not to be down on the Germans or anything, but, you know, fuck you guys. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Most of America has German heritage, which is why they're so racist. I make these jokes, but current contemporary Germany is less racist. I, well, I, I mean, un unless you, you count the fact that they just stopped a, a right-wing coup from occurring. That was Germany, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Moving right along, Krampus is from Germany. And you know what? That makes fucking sense because literally every, my understanding of German culture and how they their, their plans for raising children is <clears throat> every time you want to teach a child a lesson, you just make up a story about death. And then if the child can't process it through that, you know, you make up a horrific Christmas demon whose goal in life is to abduct and murder them. <clears throat> is that what Krampus does? Murder them? Does he eat them? Does he enslave them? What does he do? None of it's good. Now, is it metal as fuck? Sure. Yeah, it's heavy metal as fuck. Do you know what else it is? It's also kind of fucking fascist. No, like, seriously. It's like we now have a political spectrum for fucking Christmas. On the one hand, you get Santa Claus, who's, who, <clears throat> in, in, who is literally dressed in red, got a long white beard, and is here to redistribute gifts for free at no cost. We often joke about Santa Claus being a, a capitalist, but the reality is, is that if there's anyone in the world who is undermining capitalism and breaking copyright laws, it's fucking Santa Claus. 
You got a Game Boy from Santa Claus. That shit was not made in Japan by Nintendo. It was made in North Pole with magic and elf labor. For all we know, the elves are unionized. We don't know that. We can't say that. But like, unless Santa Claus is a hypocrite, they're unionized. Then, also, Santa Claus's red outfit is based on magic mushrooms from like Siberia. So, fun facts. It's also where the idea of reindeer being able to fly comes from, by the way. So there you got, you got leftist Santa Claus. I can't describe how many more things about him are leftist. But over here, we got fucking Krampus. And what what does Krampus do? What is Krampus's deal? What is his whole... He comes, he comes and he beats your children. He comes with a bundle of sticks to beat your children. Actually, I, I said before I didn't know, but it's actually on this page I, look, I pulled up. He brings a bunch of sticks and beats your fucking kids with it. Like, okay, what? Uh, okay, I get it, lefty parents. You won't hit, you won't corporal punish your own kids, but you will make up a story about it, but you will embrace a story about a demon who will come and do it for you. Do you not see the inconsistency here? Krampus is about punishing the wicked, while Santa Claus is about rewarding the good. We have literally two different versions here of like the political spectrum. And I had to tell you this, but Krampus is the fascist. Krampus is straight up the fascist. He's over here, he's got a stick. He's like, I'm about to be the boot on your neck, bitch. Be good. Hell, for the love of God. <clears throat> over here, we got Santa Claus. And what's Santa Claus's response to, to bad children? He gives them coal. Now. To modern children, that sounds like a horrific punishment. But, you know, to poor children when that story was created, Santa Claus giving you coal meant, I don't have to freeze to death this winter. Yay! Santa Claus knows that if I survive the cold, I'll have a chance to be a good child next year. Actually, on secondary thought, maybe the reason Santa Claus gives coal to the bad children is so they have something to throw at Krampus so they can run. Oh, God, here comes Krampus. Chuck the coal. Got him in the eye. Run. Run. Oh, no. Billy tripped. Oh, he's going to beat the shit out of Billy this year. I'm kidding. These are German kids. That kid's name wasn't Billy. It was Wilhelm. Oh, no. Wilhelm. He fell. Krampus is beating him. He's beating him. So, yeah. No. Uh, fuck Krampus. I get it. It's all. It's edgy. It's, it feels new to us, even though it was around. It's been around in Germany since the 12th century. It's just a bunch of German traditionalist bullshit that just happens to have our favorite heavy metal aesthetic. And we forget that even the most deranged conservative traditionalist Christians in Germany are kind of metal as fuck. They, you can't, the amount of, in America, sure, we associate the amount of metal a person is with how far to the left they are. In Germany, that does not apply. Secretly, there's a little bit of heavy metal in every German citizen. And it only comes out when they say something very serious. Normally, about death. Oh, maybe I have a little German in me somewhere. I don't know. The point is, is that no, I do not endorse Krampus. Fuck that guy. 
coming to beat children with sticks. I don't agree with that at all. This is, a, this is America. Keep your sticks off my kids. You goat-faced, Baphomet-looking motherfucker. Krampus. All right. So that's my rant about Krampus. It's German, so I'm sure it's pronounced Krampus. My accent sounds a, sounds a little bit more Dutch, doesn't it? Uh, <clears throat> apparently, in most Ger American movies, they use a Dutch accent for German people anyways. Uh, all right. So I also said there was going to be a movie review in this episode. And, uh, whoo, boy, here we go. So I went to a fun little gift exchange in the improv community up here in Ohio. And, uh, and I got to say, uh, it, it was a fun little endeavor, uh, a little bit of a sensory overload, overload for me personally, to be honest, but, uh, it was, it was good times, but, uh, in the gift exchange thing, I got a DVD of a movie, a Christmas movie, a movie called Cupid's Christmas. Now, the back of the box does not do a good job of summarizing what the movie is about, but I'll read it to you anyways. As Santa Claus searches for his reindeer, the love story of Katie Luke is reignited. Uh, okay. And, uh, so, so that's the back. That's the, that's the supposed synopsis of the story. And I got to say, it does not do... Great job. For starters, I thought Katie Luke was one person. Like that was her name, but no, 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 no. The woman's name is Katie, and the dude she's into is named Luke. It's it's not it's not well. The back of the box is a problem, is what I'm saying. This was written by Cody LaRue. And it was directed by Sam Logan Kalegi. It's pronounced, it's spelled K-H-A-L-E-G-H-I. Thought it was Kaylee at first when I saw it, but uh, closer inspection, I was like, nope, that's, that's wrong. It stars Marla Moore, Joe Curek, Kevin Ridsdale, and Jerry Nash. And you know what? The big, t I, I watched this movie and it was actually a valuable learning experience, even though it was boring as it, it was not, it was not terribly exciting at any, any given moment. So here's, here's how the movie goes down. The movie opens up with Santa Claus walking down a country road. Honestly, it looked like, honestly, the beginning of the movie is wrong. It looks like Santa's about, it looks like the, it looks like Santa just escaped from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I don't mean like he's gory or anything. I just mean the way he's walking down the street is like the shot from Chainsaw Mass, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And Santa Claus is walking around because he's lost his reindeer Cupid. The reindeer Cupid has disappeared. And uh, as he's walking down the road, calling for Cupid, uh, this car drives by him, and driving the car 
is this chick Katie. And Katie essentially and and and, they, and Katie is literally just going around her day meeting townspeople, introducing them to us for some reason, for some reason. And I say that because the reality of the matter is is that there is almost no tension in this movie whatsoever. And I don't just mean like the stressful kind of tension. I mean like it doesn't even have comedic tension. Like there's just nothing it's flat. The whole thing is fucking flat. I tell you, the movie was from made in took place in Wyoming. It was so flat, but that's not true. It takes place in Michigan. It takes place in a small town, Michigan, uh, where everyone is dressed like a fucking cowboy for some reason. That's that's not accurate. Not everyone is dressed like a cowboy. <sighs> and uh, but basically, she's going around town. She's meeting some key characters. I say key characters, even though I've forgotten their names. I don't remember anything they said. It was just blah the whole way through. Uh, and then the next thing we see is that there's this fucking, we go to the police station where the cops have arrested this Santa Claus. They've arrested him apparently for just looking like Santa Claus and wandering around other people's country properties yelling for his reindeer. And the cops don't believe he's Santa Claus. And in the middle of them interrogating the cops, uh, the cop's granddaughter, who is Katie's daughter. Wait, no, that's not that's not true. The cop is Luke's dad. Why? Why is Katie at the why is Katie's daughter at the police station? I don't did they explain that? I don't remember. I it just it, the scenes where characters are talking to each other. It's literally just people sitting across with each other, talking to each other. It's the most boring. It's, it's boringly shot. It's boringly written. It's just not interesting. I could not stop myself from tuning out at various points of just characters sitting and talking to each other. I don't know what I missed but it didn't prevent me from actually understanding the majority of the film. Cause it's not a whole lot fucking going on here that you haven't seen before. As Ben gets from Cupid's Christmas. This is like a Hallmark movie that wasn't made by Hallmark. It's, it was put out, it, uh, it was published by somebody called Gravitas Ventures LLC. All I know about them is they got shit on Amazon Prime, but anyone can get shit on Amazon Prime. But the little girl sees that they've arrested Santa. They actually haven't arrested them. They, uh, as they say, they've only brought him in for questioning. And of course, the girl freaks out. She's like, why would you arrest Santa, you bastards? She doesn't say you bastards. Uh, but anyways, she's like, oh, you arrested Santa Claus. Ah! And like, just instantly believes that he's Santa Claus. And of course, all the adults are like, this is not Santa Claus. Like, it is interesting. Like, I understand why adults in movies that feature Santa Claus don't believe in Santa Claus. But, like, that always opens the question to these movie universes where it's like, how come these parents never question mysterious presents they didn't buy showing up underneath the tree? There should be some type of questioning there, parents. Who is this gift from? Says Santa Claus. Well, I didn't buy it. Did you buy it? No, I didn't buy it. Wait, is Santa Claus real? Holy shit. Why did we stop believing him and him, him as adults? 
Please, Mrs. Three, now that we're parents, we have irrefutable proof that there is someone delivering random presents. Like, but that never comes up. No matter how real Santa Claus is in a movie universe, the, the parents are like, don't understand that it's happening. It's weird if you think about it. It, it implies that the main that the majority of the kids in the movies are not good enough to get presents from Santa Claus. And yet the movie never addresses that either. So Santa Claus is basically like, oh, my reindeers escaped. Like the scene where Santa Claus explains the most stuff is super weird because literally it's the cops, the girl and her mom in a hallway, the cops explaining what's happening. And, and like, we suddenly just hear Santa Claus yelling down the hall to the girl from the room he was in. Like, why, why is it staged this way? It's very weird. Did anyone ever teach Santa Claus not to yell in the house? The next big thing, the next thing we find out is that Katie's whole deal is that she's trying to s save the historical train station that the town was founded around, but there's not enough money to, to move it as quickly as they'll need to move it before it needs to be removed. And then, of course, we meet Luke. Side note, the male character is technically the antagonist in, in a, is technically the antagonist. Actually, we know Santa Claus is the protagonist, so Katie would be, never mind. Okay, we're not going to get into that right now. It's, it's not worth it. But basically, next thing we know, Luke shows up back in town. And okay, so like, this is a movie that never says its politics out loud. But like, you can kind of infer them. But you can, you can kind of infer them. First of all, it takes place in a small town. Now, I will say this thing. In this movie, it is the woman. It is the woman who is the small town person. And it is the guy who is coming back to the small town. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how often that trope goes in that direction in Hallmark movies, but in this movie it does. So you got the woman, and she's she's a small town mama trying to save a trying to save a train station. Next thing we know, Luke shows up. Luke. Just gotten back from the military. He's just gotten a job at the fire station, which the movie implies is awkward and uncomfortable because his dad is the chief of police or sheriff or whatever the fuck his job is. I'm not sure how small this town is. It's pretty small, but not like, not like hills have eyes have small. So, anyways, Luke is there. He's from the. He's a. He's a veteran. He just got a job at the fire station. And he's also, he's also uh, got this, got this friend in Chicago, one of the three black people in the movie, who is trying to convince him to come to Chicago to be a salesperson, to work in sales with him and make good money. Uh, but like, and th this is the thing that, like the thing about this, this is the, one of the things about this movie lacking real tension is that you see, it's not as so, it's hard to believe that there's any real tension or conflict to this movie when literally 
the only thing that Luke in this movie gives any fucks at all about is Katie, okay? It, it's so clear that he does not give a shit about anything. Like, his friend's on the phone trying to talk him into this sales job in Chicago, and he's just like, yeah, whatever, man. Like, there's never a point in the movie where you believe that he could take that job. Like, literally, the far as, as far as believing that goes, it's like, oh, it's a possible thing because this guy offered it to him, so this... if. If you see a gun in a movie, that means somebody's going to shoot the gun. It's like, that's the only reason to believe it's even possible. Because the entire time Luke is engaged with this, he's just like, yeah, whatever. Fuck it. I don't care. He doesn't say, fuck it, I don't care. Because this is clearly aimed at being appropriate for families. So then Luke. But Luke also doesn't give a fuck about his firefighter job either. Literally. He shows up late to his firefight first day of work at the firefighter station. He shows up late. Now, to be fair, he had a little bit of an excuse because it was his job to get the coffee. But the fact of the matter is that he actively chose to be late to his first day of work so that he could sit at the coffee shop and talk to Katie. Like, I get it. I get that the fire chief is your dad's friend. So, like, but, like, that doesn't change the fact that you clearly don't give a fuck if you're willing to abuse that relationship to show up late. And he doesn't even give a shit that all the firemen give him shit for showing up late with the wrong coffee orders. Like, he clearly doesn't give a fuck. The only thing he gives a fuck about is Katie. Like, it's li like literally, she is the only thing he puts any real effort into. In the entire movie, he's like a manic pixie dream boy for this girl. Except, you know, like, if he, a manic pixie, manic pixie dream boy would, you know, probably be interesting. And he just isn't. Even though I will give him credit, he, he is one of the people in the movie who at most feels like is trying to act. With that being said, I don't want to actually attack any of the actors in this movie because the thing I have realized about these types of movies is that the thing that really makes them stand out as flat and terrible is the way that they are shot. I won't say that every shot in the movie is bad. There are a couple of shots that feel inspired by other movies and therefore have that competence of a Xerox copy. But the way, but it really made me appreciate how other movies are shot because every scene of the movie is just a, sh it's just a shot of what is happening. And now that, now you might say, well, isn't that what a movie is? No, no. The shot in the movie is designed to convey information to you visually. A filmmaker is supposed to be showing you things on purpose, not just for a purpose, but also to construct a total visual package. They are telling you a story visually. And if a movie is shot in a manner where it is mostly just flat, you're not going to feel shit at all.
because the movie is relying entirely on its actors and its dialogue to convey every piece of information. But the fact of the matter is, is that the way a camera is held and focused and shot and then later edited is part of that communication to the audience. If you're not actively communicating things visually in your movie about how the audience is supposed to feel, you're not actually making a good movie. You have to think about the way that the picture is also conveying the story. Which reminds me, I saw another movie recently called The Fablements, and I have very mixed feelings about it, which I'll probably talk about in my, in my, in my ranking of all the movies I saw in 2022. But there's an important thing about that movie that one of the last scenes in that movie is the kid meeting director John Ford. And this, this is a spoiler, I guess, but except for the fact that honestly, it's a slice of life film that doesn't build to anything at all. Near the end of the movie, he gets to meet director John Ford, who made all, all who made like a ton of Westerns uh, in the black and white era. And he gets to meet this director and the director like indicates some paintings at in his room in his in his office and he tells the kid look at that painting tell me what you see in that painting and the, and the kid starts to describe the painting and and the and john ford's like no 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 kid where is the horizon in the painting and the kid looks at the painting again and he's like well it, it's at the top and then john ford says okay tell me what you see in this picture and the kid goes to it and he starts to describe it again. And the kids and the and the guy's like, "No, kid, where's the horizon in the picture?" And the kid looks at the picture and he gets goes and he says, "Oh, it, it's it's at the bottom." And and the and John Ford goes exactly when the horizon is at the bottom or the top, it's interesting. When the horizon is in the middle, it's boring. And I'm not necessarily sure, certain if that is 100% always true. But if your movie looks like a steady flatness, you're not conveying anything. You, like, it looks... This movie looks like a Paul Greengrass movie. Now, the thing is, I first of all, I fucking hate the way Paul Greengrass shoots movies. I fucking hate it. Oh, my God. The, only, the fastest I ever dropped out of watching a franchise was the Bourne movies. After the second movie, I was like, no, I'm done. That was unpleasant to watch. Fuck this franchise. The first one was good. I don't want to see any more of this. If they're all going to be like this, where it's just visual muck and the camera is constantly jittering, I don't need that. I don't need that. Now, this movie is not as constantly jittery as that. The slight jittering in this movie is caused by the fact that most of the movie is shot freehand and also shot... So the thing about the way Paul Greengrass shoots a movie is that Paul Greengrass is trying to make his films look like they were shot like a documentary. Which is weird, honestly, because like the entire thing about that is the implication of a camera following the action it's a deliberate choice on his part 
But here, it's not a deliberate choice that it be shot that way. That's it. just the film being shot from someone who doesn't understand the choice they're making because they think their job is to just catch what the actors are doing. And to a certain extent, that is part of a camera person's job. However, what a camera person is supposed to do extends what a, sorry, not a camera person, a director of cinematography is supposed to do and a director is supposed to do is to come up with how to shoot these things to tell the story. The, ca the camera person and the director and the director of photography, it is part of their job to visually tell the story. And I'm sorry, but there's more to that than just aiming a character a camera at the actors and hoping that they convey all the information that the audience needs to know. Because, and this is important, when you shoot actors that way, you are making their jobs harder. You are not, their acting will not look as good if you are not also using the camera to emphasize what information the actor is trying to convey. And this movie is fucking like that. The whole time. And it's very flat. The story itself is also flat and lacks any type of tension. And there's several reasons for that. One, uh, one, like I said, Luke clearly doesn't give a fuck about these things that are supposed to be just pulling him pulling him away from this woman. He just doesn't. He just doesn't. The movie's also, will like repeatedly just undo its own tension. Like we're, like at the beginning of the movie, like everyone's like, oh, your dad, the police chief's probably gonna be super weird about you being a fireman now. And like they continue to do that, even though the very first scene where the police chief interacts with his son, the first thing he says is that he knows that he has the firefighter job. <laughs> And he doesn't care. And like, but people continue to make fun of Luke for the about this throughout the movie. Ooh, I bet your dad took that heart. No, he didn't. He laughed about it at dinner. It, it, it wasn't a big deal. I'll also say the movie is never openly political, but the police chief totally has a Blue Lives Matter flag in his office. You know, the uh, the black and white American flag with the one single blue strip totally has one of those now i will say that I, I will say that like i i don't really care because like honestly i find that believable that a small town police chief would have bad political takes about the police so i'm not like offended i saw that but like it does tell you something about the movie that someone with there was like yeah we should put that in there should totally put that in there i'm down with that but like what am i supposed to say this movie is clearly designed to be like oh small town aesthetic it's that small town aesthetic that's what they're aiming for that's what they want the other thing is the other supposed sources of you know tension or oh what's gonna happen even are of course are of course how do they say the train station which, by the way, you know, also is just in this boat where it's like, yeah, see? Like, literally Luke just shows up 
And he goes to Katie and he's like, oh man, we should raise the money ourselves. He's like, no, we couldn't. And then of course they have a fundraiser and he convinces her to sing at the, sing at the fundraiser. Because she used to love singing and now she doesn't do it anymore. Oh, oh my God. And of course, Santa Claus is out here looking for Cupid. But the thing is, there's never, ever, ever a moment where you don't think these things are going to come together. Even the thing with the friend from Chicago comes into town and it's like, basically tells everyone, oh yeah, no, Luke's going to come work in Chicago with me, even though Luke's never said yes to it. Like, that's the thing. There's not a scene in the movie where the friend gets Luke to even consider it. He just shows up and makes everyone think of think that's going to happen so that Luke's dad and, and Katie can be like, what? Why would he do that? But he didn't do that. He's not. It, it's, it's not like... And then Katie gets mad and has that whole third act romantic comedy thing where she thinks the other person is using and lying to her, even though they're not. And then the thing is, is that normally there's some type of tension there because in other movies, that person will have at least fucked up in some way. But like, literally... Luke has done nothing, nothing wrong in this movie. I mean, well, nothing wrong to Katie. He clearly does not give a shit about his job. Which is a problem, you know, because you're a fucking firefighter, Luke. Maybe you should work in sales with this sort of apathetic bullshit thing. The movie is also weirdly edited they're like okay so there's a scene in the movie and it's winter by the way this movie takes place in winter there's clearly snow on the ground it's fucking michigan should be getting dark late i mean sorry should be getting dark early dark early and yet there's a scene in the movie there's a scene in the movie where katie is singing to her daughter to bed singing twinkle twinkle little star by the way who sings that to what appears to be like a 10 or 11 year old girl to bed? Side note, there was totally a scene in the movie where girls that are clearly her age are talking about how they don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. Uh, which, like, so, yeah, anyways. Uh, but in this sequence where she's singing her to sleep, it's, just, it's intermittently cut between her singing and Luke standing on a porch in a cowboy outfit, sipping a cup of coffee. And the thing is, it's clearly daylight, wherever the fuck Luke is, but this kid's going to bed? What the, what the, what, what, what? Like, is, is this, look, okay, filmmakers, if, if this scene is supposed to just be her thinking about Luke, and wanting to see Luke, well, you, you got to make it clearer somehow. I can't necessarily tell you how to do that, but, like, this is just, like, I have to assume that's what's really happening because it doesn't make sense that she's flashing to him during the day. You need to edit it differently somehow. But it's not weird. But honestly, if I have to have one major complaint about this movie... That of course, it can't deliver remotely on the only thing that is interesting in the movie, which is Santa Claus. 
The movie's so caught up in this stupid romance with its stupid save the train plot and the will it go to Chicago or won't he? That like Santa Claus is barely in this freaking movie. Like he's there's no, it's just he's barely there. Like he's at the beginning of the movie, then he shows up in the middle of the movie for some reason in a completely different non-Santa Claus outfit. Then he shows up again at the end of the movie where he gets his reindeer back because Cupid is drawn to love. <sighs> Which in that sequence, he's back in the, the Santa Claus outfit. And I gotta be honest here, his behavior and attitudes in the, the his behavior and also the way he looks in the Santa Claus costume versus how he looks in Santa goes golfing outfit that he wears is so radically incongruous with each other that I actually had a moment where I was like, is this the same fucking actor? According to the credits, there's only one Santa Claus actor, but like it was jarring, very jarring. And the, the, the fact of the matter is he's barely in the movie. It's called Cupid's Christmas. It's called Cupid's Christmas. And Cupid is barely in this fucking movie. Like, it's like someone came up with the name for the movie first and then just stole a bunch of shit from Hallmark movies, which are just recycling, just trope recycling factories to begin with, slapped it all together. And then at some point, someone was like, oh, Oh, there's barely any of that Santa Claus Cupid shit in here. Why didn't you just call it Luke comes home for Christmas or something or Katie loves Luke or Katie plus Luke equals Christmas love? I don't know. The fact of the matter is that the Santa Claus plot line seems distracting and unnecessary. And also, like, it's not, who is the father of your child, Katie? It's never talked about. Also, it doesn't even feel like you need to have a child for this plot to even progress. The child is literally just here to tie into a Santa Claus the movie barely uses. And when they do use him, it's for a gag about him selling used cars at a car dealership? Are you fucking kidding me? Cupid's Christmas, man. Oh. Oh, boy. What a wild... Wild movie. It's a not wild. I mean, all over this holiday season, I also, uh, I also trip balls and watch cats, which I've been telling myself I was going to do for a while. And let me tell you, cats is a better movie than Cupid's Christmas. Well, kind of, kind of. Cupid's Christmas is flat and empty and feels like a cash grab at that Hallmark holiday vibe, you know? Made by conservatives who aren't artists and don't understand things like subtext or tension or putting meaning into a story. Cats, however, is just a weird-ass fever dream. And I can get behind a movie that is a weird-ass fever dream to an extent. My, I'll just say it. My, 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 my major criticism of Cats is that, like, literally, you're just watching the movie, the whole, and the, like, there's never a moment. 
There's never a moment in Cats where my brain doesn't isn't saying to me, but but why didn't they use practical effects? Because because the because the thing is the CGI is disconcertingly weird, and also when it looks its best is when it's trying to pretend that it's practical effects. Like why not just use practical effects, Cat? I'm not saying that would have saved your movie. Uh, it's it, it's it's way too weird, way too weird for a standard audience. But if you had used regular costumes, maybe it wouldn't have cost so much, and maybe audiences wouldn't have been looking at it like, "What the fuck am I looking at?" Although you know, Cats also has kind of a Christmassy vibe to it. Uh, I was off topic. I apologize. Um, but so yeah. Cupid's Christmas. Uh, I can't really say that I recommend it. But if it sounded hilarious to you, then maybe check it out. It's, uh... I learned some valuable filmmaking lessons from it, honestly. Cupid's Christmas. How not to film a movie. You know, I was I was in an independent movie that I, I probably a couple of steps down budget-wise, from Cupid's Christmas. Uh, but I will say that, like, it kind of had a similar, some similar problems to Christmas, Cupid's Christmas uh, in the fact that the director was certain what he needed to focus on was the love story. And what he really should have focused on was me and this other guy as the comic relief. A couple of horny hillbillies trying to find Bigfoot and see boobies. That should have been the focus of the movie. And uh, we were pretty much told that by a distributor. <laughs> it was like, yeah, these are the guys. These two characters, the most unique thing about the movie, they're the most marketable thing. Called Circle Track Summer. It's on Amazon. Check it out. All right. <clears throat> it is better than Cupid's Christmas. It is better than Cupid's Christmas, in my, in my opinion. At, at least it's funny. Because <laughs> that, that is the thing. So that's, that's, that is the thing about movies that are like Cupid's Christmas. You, see, that's the thing. If you know you're not capable of making a good movie, then you need to make a funny movie. Because when a movie's funny, audiences will forgive the fact that it's not good. Just, and if anything proves this, it is comedies from the 90s. Audiences were laughing, then we're stopping to think, man, this fucking movie is made like shit. Back then, all you had to do was be funny. And uh, no one would notice that your movie was trash. And that that is still true. Be funny. That's the lesson. I don't know where I was going with this. Anyways, that brings us to the, to the, end, to the end of our Christmas special. Santa Claus, do you have anything else you'd, you'd like to say before we go? Ho, ho, ho. Santa Claus needs to go lay down because he didn't realize Reuben's cookies were medicated. Yeah, Santa Claus, uh, you go do that. I want to sleep that off or uh, or uh, watch some TikTok videos. Oh, okay. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Reuben Uncut Christmas special. Please uh, support the podcast uh, in any way that you uh, see fit. All right. Uh, please like, subscribe, you know. If you feel like you want to contact the show, 
feel free to email us at rubenuncut at gmail.com or you can go to anchor fm to leave us a voicemail which might which i will probably play on air provided you don't you know say any slurs all right everybody merry christmas happy hanukkah crazy kwanzaa wait that's not what they say right crazy that can't be what it can't be crazy kwanzaa that's that's not a thing i what is that what is that is that from it's a crusty the clown line isn't it uh but you know happy holidays all right thank you for joining us and ho 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 ho